Hi there, listeners. We are releasing a very special episode today for the History of England podcast. We want to thank David so much for inviting us to do a recording for his show. I have been a massive fan of the History of England uh, for at least six, seven years. And Patrick and I actually became podcasters after being inspired by David's work. So uh, I'm sure many of you already listen to the History of England, but if you don't, we could not recommend it highly enough. Uh, so yeah, enjoy. Hello everyone, welcome to a special episode of the History of England podcast. My name is Patrick and I'm joined by my co-host Will and together we make up the Cloak and Dagger podcast, a podcast where we explore the lesser known and quirkier stories of history. And David has very graciously invited us to come and do a special episode on his podcast. And Will, I know you're very excited because you're a massive fan of David's, as am I. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah, I have uh, been listening to David's podcast for at least six years, probably longer. In fact, probably as long as I've known you, Patrick, uh, <laughs> which is uh, quite a long time now. But yeah, it, it's it's brilliant to see us now as a avid listener. We're about to go into the English Civil War. But today we thought we'd hark back to the medieval period to give you guys a little bit of that since we were only been listening to David tell us about the Tudors and things like that. So yeah, oh, we're very excited, if not a little bit nervous to be on a much more professional podcast uh, <laughs> with our dumb conversations. But yeah, if you do, if you do enjoy this slightly dumber conversation, um, you can come and check us out on the Cloak and Dagger podcast, uh, where we explore stories from around the world, but probably not as well as David does. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so let's get down to it. So we're going to be leaving the battles of the 17th century uh, to David in his capable hands. And we're going to actually take us back 300 years or so from where the actual story is now in uh, David's chronology. Um, back to the reign of King Edward I of England, also known as Edward Longshanks. Now, Patrick, how much do you know about Edward? Well... I feel like I'm slightly embarrassed in that most of it comes from um, Braveheart uh, and other things about William Wallace, which isn't really historical fact, I'm sure. I mean, I guess he's kind of considered to be a bit of a bastard and he's like quite, quite a, I guess, a strong king and, you know, and a crusading king, I believe, as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he went out to the Holy Land and actually that is part of the story today in a very small way. Oh, um, interesting. But yeah, Edward, Edward is a, uh, a, a king who divides a lot of history and I'm sure... The listeners of this podcast uh, will want to go back at some point and, and, and listen to David's take on Edward. Uh, but he was a man who was very tall. He was six feet tall, which for the time was really, really like head and shoulders about above most men and mm. women at the time. Um, but yeah, he was also known, one of his uh, nomenclatures was a hammer of the Scots, which is where William Wallace comes in. Right. And uh, yeah, he. Uh, if you're a Scottish person, you're not a fan. He's a bit like the Oliver Cromwell the Irish uh, uh, yeah. so he's not, he's not a really a <laughs> really awful kind of tyrant conquering guy a conquering king yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's also he was also as you say a very strong and 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 quite good at uh, corralling the court into doing what he wanted them to do so he was fairly good at like raising taxes fairly efficiently and he was quite popular amongst his soldiers which therefore meant he was quite a good king for mm. the time this is the thing we're right back at the beginning of the 1300s so we're in the high to late middle ages so this is like the perfect time he was a warrior king who also uh, served the pope by going over to the holy land and doing all that and he didn't lose any territory as far as I'm aware. So he was, you know, as far as it goes, he ticked lots of boxes. He's kind of that, like, epitome of, like, the the king people wanted back then, or at least you wanted on your side, you know, strong man taking land from your neighbours that you don't like, you know, love, you know, a big fan of the soldiers, you know, this strong man who goes and takes what he wants. That kind of strong man, <laughs> you know, dictatorship politics that we see throughout history. But he really embodied that and was that kind of guy. Yeah, and this time of history for England is... Is a, is a fairly prosperous one, mm. so that's kind of where we're setting setting our setting our cap today. So that's prosperous time for England, less prosperous for Scotland. Which actually, I do think those are kind of counterpoints that throughout history <laughs> we don't do well together. It's normally one or the other. <laughs> it's so true. And since this is the history of England for for for, for today, anyway, he is a. I wouldn't say he's the hero, but he's definitely part of. He's the story. protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> well, he plays a prominent role in the story. Yeah, yeah. 
Anyway, um, so on the Cloak and Dagger podcast, whenever we do a new episode, we always have what we call a walkthrough where we take you into the world of the because we go all over history we have we're not like david where you know roughly what time period it is all the way through we go all over the place and so we have a walkthrough to immerse you listeners in what we are talking about uh on that episode yeah as best as we can do i mean you know if you can look up pictures as well that'll help um you know really try and bring yourself into this world because it's quite it's strange i think when you look at england even even this far back everything is just so different and it's really you have to get into that right headspace of understanding people back then because it's wildly different and especially if you go across the world it's a whole alien world um, to what we experience today but yeah we like these little walkthroughs yeah absolutely so without further ado i'm going to take us back to a spring night in april 1303 (laughs) i'm setting our scene in the precinct of Westminster Abbey, so in today's heart of London. Back in those times, it was a separate entity entirely from London. It was oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like an outside town. Yeah, and it was an administrative place, and there was a palace there, and there was an abbey. Mm. So Westminster Abbey, and the Palace of Westminster, which is there today, is actually a Victorian uh, rendition, but the original one was a real palace, a royal palace. And it's not government at all, it's not... It's well, it's government, but it's government before democracy. So it's, it's we don't have a parliament. Oh, I see. Administration, you know, the people working under the king, not yeah, doing Yeah, lots anything. of clerks, lots of royal clerks. I understand. Yeah, we're talking like quills and scrolls. Quills. Pipe rolls, <laughs> you know. Raven, not ravens. That's Game of Thrones. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, that yeah. kind of thing, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, so we're in the precinct of Westminster Abbey, and the Benedictine monks are chanting the Compline, which is the evening service of the canonical day. So all the way through the day, they have to pray at certain times and compliance the very last one before mm-hmm. they get to go to bed um, and the abbey's candles are casting long shafts of light out into the monk's cemetery which is just outside right next to the Westminster Abbey very spooky yeah so it's like a cold I'm imagining quite a cold rainy night mm. you know mm. and uh, probably all the monks are sort of hoping to get to bed you know, it's the end of a long day of praying. Yeah, 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 yeah sure. <laughs> Doing God's work. You know, it's probably been rain. It's not been the nicest day. It's been overcast. Yeah, that cold breeze. You know, it's it's not summer yet, so they've still got like the cooler, you know, wintry breezes blowing through. Exactly. Um, so yeah, but the, the the cemetery itself, whilst you'd expect it to be fairly well tended, since Westminster Abbey is such an important religious house, but actually it wasn't as well tended as it should have been. In fact, especially the area beside the Picts Crypt wall, it looked very overgrown and sort of unkept for whatever reason, hmm. which is a bit strange. Yeah, I think. what are they doing? Who knows? Uh, but here, an extensive and thick hemp grass had shot up to the height of about six feet, so it would have looked a bit out of place. It's like a load of just a huge long grass bit at the end of the... Uh, like pressed against the wall and everything else would be fairly manicured well tended to you know a lot nicer <laughs> i doubt it was that manicured we're not talking like victorian oh, right, cemeteries yeah. <laughs> here <laughs> it's still like you know they're there um but yeah so it's definitely looking a little bit unkept um but if you were to walk close enough you might be able to hear some very strange now sounds of scraping and tapping and a bit of grunting as well as some okay <laughs> no nothing like that the <laughs> sure. monks this is not a monk <laughs> this is not the kind of story i am right telling. okay okay um but a little later on this small cemetery was suddenly filled with shadowy cloaked figures crouching behind tombstones and against the walls of the abbey oh my god yeah a human chain leading from the patch of the long grass to the gate and beyond right down to an awaiting barge tethered by stairs on the river thames and they were passing bags upon bags which glinted in the moonlight. Ooh. Now, some of these figures were drunk and were swaying whilst their sober <laughs> compatriots cursed them as they dropped their precious cargo. And apparently, apparently, they might have been singing songs as well. <laughs> okay, this is, this is a very different image. I was imagining shadowy cultists moving through the night, but it's just a... <laughs> bunch of drunk guys moving treasure around to no good (laughs) (laughs) this is a very different outlook i was imagining yeah um after several hours though of doing this this passing the cloaked crew melted away and a lonely figure climbed out of the hemp grass stretched his legs and hustled out of the graveyard chinking slightly with every step right so you've got so you've got shadowy figures moving stuff away from the hedge Mm -hmm. into a barge 
and then a man later arises from the hedge with stuff on him as well. Maybe, yeah, yeah. And then he leaves. And this, what you've just heard, dear listener, is one of the largest robberies in English history. No way. Which you've probably never heard of, literally. No way. This is a heist. It is a heist. Uh, (laughs) We love the heist ones. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that is, that's the walkthrough. So we're in, you can just imagine those shadowy precincts of Westminster. Back when Westminster was on its own, you know, I mean, it was still quite a busy place, but it definitely wasn't uh, the Westminster you'd see today with Parliament Square. No CCTV cameras, anything like that? Sadly not, no. No. Um, and apparently they in, they're in need of some better gardeners as well. <laughs> yeah, and maybe some coffee or something to sober up because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, no, so that, that's where uh, we're starting our story. Just in a word on sources, most of what we get from this story comes from a confession, which uh, we'll talk about later. No spoilers, don't worry. Uh, a, an actual confession from one of these men. Uh, and because of that... It might have been under torture. We're not really sure. Mm. But it, it it does tell us quite a lot. Slightly dubious. It's not necessarily going to be the absolute truth, but makes no. a good story. Exactly. Plus, I was really shocked. I like to do... We both are very diligent in our... Uh, as, as David is as well. He instilled in us, having listened to this <laughs> podcast for very many years, a very high level of scrutiny when we look into the articles for a certain a certain story. But there were very few... On this case, as far back, my, my most recent uh, case, except for one book, was 1944. That was the last time an academic article covered this. So we're the modern interpretation of this story. <laughs> I guess that's, we are. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> no, I know. No, no, it, it's all good. It's all good. There have been uh, several podcasts have also helped us on the way with this one, including, I should, I should mention, Jammy History Podcast did cover this one as ah, one of Jamie their episodes. Well. Yeah, Jamie's brilliant as well, another a great podcaster. Um, so check out him as well. Okay, so to, to let's zoom out a little bit here because I've taken you to the heist itself. But to give you a little bit of setup, we need to talk about Edward and what he's up to. This is so much like any heist actual film where they kind of show you all the information. You know, you see something happening, like, oh, how did that happen? And then they take you back to the things that happened before, <laughs> the build-up and all the all the plans they put into place earlier. Loving, so this true. is perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, first of all, let's we had to start with the royal history and we'll work our way down to the heisters themselves. So... As we mentioned in the intro, Edward, Hammer of the Scots, is up in Scotland, and he's been up there since 1298. So our story takes place in 1303. So he's obviously coming up and down to London Mm. fairly regularly, but since you haven't got the Flying Scotsman, it takes a long, long time to do that journey. (laughs) So he spends most of his time in Scotland. Or on the border, you know, Uh, sending troops up. You know, he he wasn't always in Scotland because the raining season's horrible and everything else. But because he was up there so much and because he was so obsessed with conquering the Scots, he wasn't able to effectively govern from London over that time period. So what he did was he basically picked up the court, which is basically all the lords and anyone who wants any sort of patronage or influence and all the officers of state. This is pre-parliamentary democracy, so you don't have, you know, like a cabinet or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, And he moved the entire administration from London all the way to York. So he just kind of relocated his capital, kind of. Yeah, he wow. did. Which is a really quite incredible thing, which I don't really talk about that much. But York at the time was the second city. Mm. Sorry, Birmingham, you weren't around at this point. (laughs) Or if you were, you were tiny. Um, And so it was fairly simple. Um, They had lots of the right uh, buildings and set up infrastructure to take the Court of England. So from 1298 up to 1303, the court wasn't in Westminster. It was up in York. Mm -hmm. And up there with the administration was also the main treasury. Because, of course you need money and power to be an effective ruler. And if you leave your money down in London, how are you going to afford to finance the war up in Scotland? Yeah, yeah. you can't just like transfer the money over. It's not held in the cloud or on some (laughs) banking app. Yeah, yeah. Um, So because of that, um, Westminster was pretty much empty of of people because anyone who was anyone was up in with the king. And Westminster is such a focal point for like, political power it's kind of nothing without that so it just becomes a bit of a ghost town it does yeah but of course there are certain officers left in in charge of the place so you still had the jailers for the nearby newgate prison you still had 
um, obviously the abbot of Westminster Abbey and all the monks who lived there, mm -hmm. the Benedictine monks I was talking about earlier, and also a fair number of lowly clerks who weren't sort of high enough up to be that necessary, but people still had to function down in London. You couldn't just sort of just leave it completely on its own. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but w around this time, there was quite a lot of issues with drunkenness in Westminster because basically no one was there to stop them. Lots wow. of the monks, including the monks, were just getting drunk. Because of course. Why wouldn't they? There's nothing else <laughs> there's to There's do. no standards to keep up. If you're not the capital anymore, you're not being watched by the king and his entourage. Yeah. Having a bit... Oh, I bet they're having a great five years of just <laughs> doing what they want. But the thing is, it actually became the talk of the town because um, there were lots of jailers and obviously monks who shouldn't be drinking were just drinking like in the, the avenues of power just at all times there. of the day having a big sesh yeah and you've also got to think you know that garden we were just talking about the cemetery being overgrown oh they're not doing their job no. oh my god they're just letting things out you know overgrow everywhere i guess the royal gardener had gone up to york with with the oh king. god <laughs> they can't oh i bet they're just so like happy with themselves like they're people are complaining going oh he took the gardeners as well like, <laughs> yeah what can we do you haven't been cleaning anything yeah he could, they took the cleaners as well yeah yeah there was we had cleaners and gardeners and everything <laughs> they'll come back yeah they'll yeah. come back it's fine we've got time um but yeah so uh whilst the main treasury was all the way up in in york the king had a second treasury and this was called the treasury of the royal wardrobe good because he's got a lot of clothes i assume you know well as exactly <laughs> he had a, it was basically like a personal piggy bank to clothe and supply him with armor the king armor but also the courtiers as well. So if he wanted everyone to wear the same thing. He'd so it's like, not like the national treasure bank. It's his personal spending money, kind of. Yeah, but also think of it more like the gold reserve. Because right. he also, it wasn't just, you know, a bit of, you know, sacks of coins. And right. Like that. Oh, it was the kind of more, tre you know, fancy treasure. It was stuff that he could also be wearing as well. Like, yeah, it, yeah. It, was, it showed the prestige of England or the royal house. Mm -hmm. So there were like, you know, decorative swords. And I think King Arthur's sword might have been in there. King Arthur's so-called, so-called, or I right. think um, there are a couple of other... As in Excalibur. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as in Excalibur. In fact, I know what happened to that sword. Actually, that's not from this bit. Anyway, it doesn't matter. That sword actually had already gone. Is there a real Excalibur? Well, complete tangent here, but I know it wasn't in the vault by then because Richard the Lionheart, who was one, two, three, three kings before Edward, mm -hmm. had given it on his way to crusade to the Duke of Sicily. He gave As King Arthur's sword. Yeah. Wow, that's a nice, pretty good present. I know. Isn't, I know. That, isn't that sword supposed to declare you're the king of England? I know, I have no idea. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't the sword, or if ever there was I'm a sword. I'm not sure if there was a the sword. The one that was in stone, and then Arthur drew it out. Yeah, I don't know if that's... That actually made it out. I don't mean I don't. I did don't he do so. it? Because he, he got it out of a stone, but he also got given it by the it, Lady it of the Lake or something. On, it depends on the legend. It depends. There's so many different variations of King Arthur. Right, but he's left that sword back in. No, back that's in that's already gone. That's gone. Richard the oh, Lionheart right, sorry, was sorry, three sorry, before. Yeah, of course. But there were other things in. Any there. other magical sword he has on hand, he <laughs> might have as well. You know, <laughs> things you can't like melt down for their value because they have more value being held together as a sword. Do you right, see what I mean? Right, right. And it's, you know, it's unhelpful stuff to pay with because it's got kind of vague value. You know, you have to have it appraised every now and again. <laughs> Can you it's imagine? Not... It's like, what what you give you that for? <laughs> How much are you going to give me for that? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, yeah. Just, it just doesn't quite like, you know, it's not sacks of coins that all stack up and you can no, exactly. pass them over. But there was fair, a lot of that as well. Lots of jewels, lots of like plate you know, silver plates Silverware, and stuff. So yeah, you yeah. can't really sell that. I mean, you could, but it's like, you know. How nice would this stuff be by today's standard? Because probably not that nice, actually, would it? No, well, no, that they would have been pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been like because you weren't. I'm not saying of... I wouldn't say I would say no to it if I was offered. <laughs> you know, if I was offered one of these swords, but like, they're not the most amazing. Well, stuff. remember what I said. This is the one of the biggest heists in history. Right. So there's a lot of money in there, or like value. Yeah, yeah, I suppose, and I suppose a lot of it is just precious metals and precious stones which are the same no yeah. matter what you know they've been the same for millions of years so regardless it's still valuable stuff exactly exactly so this sort of treasure trove uh, was kept in the crypt the pyx crypt pyx pyx crypt um in the in westminster abbey in just below the chapter house in westminster abbey right next to the monk cemetery the drunk monks the drunk monks yeah. right okay um so but I guess 
no one expected anyone to try and nick stuff from there, especially whilst the king was away. I think no one really was like sort of keeping an eye out. That seems odd. And they put it in the crypts because is that a normal place to put your treasure? Or is it's it, quite so, a good strong place to. Is it, it's naturally going to be a quite as easy place to defend, and will have lots of thick walls. And then also people don't break into crypts because of ghosts. Well, well, and also just being back then, everyone is much more religious than they are today. Yeah, and so it would have been a bit god fearing as well. You wouldn't want to steal from the church. Sure, maybe. Sure. Absolutely know. not. It sort of works. <laughs> yeah, because that, that doesn't happen, stealing from churches. Yeah, yeah it never happens. No, it never happens. happens. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so you've got the king up in Scotland with basically everyone who's anyone. The, all the B-listers are down in London looking after a treasury which they aren't doing a very good job with. And in enters our real protagonist of today's episode, Richard of Pudlicott. Great name. What a name. Love it. <laughs> Richard of Pudlicott. Yes. Where is Pudlicott? Oxfordshire. Oh, very nice. Yeah, it's very nice. Yeah. If, you, if, you can get, if you can get there, you know, yeah, this yeah, is lovely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Richard was a member of the gentry. And the gentry, for those listeners who don't know, is something that wasn't really a lord, but you weren't a tenant farmer. So you were sort of like merchant class. Early middle class, but not quite at middle class. Yeah, like they, they wanted to centuries be. Off. Yeah, they wanted to be nobility, but hadn't quite made it. Yes. But they, they weren't. A bit more than, were they uh, kind of working? Were they money people? You know, did they have trades and stuff like that? Yeah, they would yeah. have. Uh, but it would depend on, you know, it's quite a sort of catch-all phrase, gentry. So it depends who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I reckon there was a couple of, you know, you, they were wearing stockings, but they weren't wearing the rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Around yeah. the neck. As a family, they might have one or two pieces of fine jewellery that they only bring out at special occasions yeah. and stuff. Yeah, And they would have a shield, but it would be... You know, no one's ever heard of them, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, so Richard of Pudlicott is the man of the moment, and he is the Danny Ocean of this particular heist. Right, okay. <laughs> so I'm just going to imagine George Clooney for this. <laughs> That's fine. George yeah. Clooney in stockings yeah. <laughs> and, and has like a hood. They should do an Ocean's film that's set in medieval times. They should. That, that would be so great. funny. Um, so yeah, but uh, so Richard, as I said, was gentry, uh, but he'd sort of been able, because he had a bit of social mobility, it meant he could kind of, he w- I wouldn't call him an entrepreneur. He was more like a failed businessman. Right. Perfect level in society to be uh, a heist man. Isn't it really it? Now, is. Yeah. You know, you can schmooze with everyone. You can you can talk to working class people, and you can schmooze with the the higher ups as well. I completely agree. This is he is perfectly placed to be this role, it, and it's also the sort of person who would think to do it as well because he can see the life he could have. You know, if you're right at the bottom and you're a peasant, you could never have that money. So even if you stole it, no one would buy it off you because they were like, this is obviously stolen. You could never spend it. You, It won't help you in life, really. Whereas he is at a point where there's a lot of, well, there could be social mobility. You know, he could he could rise. Yeah. All he, he needs is, is a, bit of, bit of money, a bit of money. But that he might also have been, because there is a little bit of that. So what is the motive? Why is he going after this money? Apart from obvious money, money, yeah. right? But you know, if you get caught, that's treason. Hang, hang, drawn and quartered. No, no questions asked. Right. So you know, it's quite a big gamble to just. Why not rob? You know, someone else. Yeah. Why, why rob the king? Exactly. And especially this king, who mm. does not seem like the nicest guy, and seems like he would probably take it quite badly if you nicked from him. He would. Well, I. The, the answer to those questions is a little bit shrouded in history, but we just have to look at Richard of Pudlicott's CV to have a little bit of an inkling as to why he was... It's fantastic we've got a CV. That's oh, really it's brilliant. amazing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 it's amazing what you can find in the Who National Who was he applying Archives. to that we got the CV? <laughs> <laughs> well, he, uh, he started off life, as I say, in Pudlicott, which is a tiny little village in Oxfordshire. But he went to make his fortune. He left, left Pudlicott and came to none other than the Palace of Westminster, where he worked... As a royal clerk. Oh, inside job. Exactly. Brilliant. Exactly. So he started off work there, but he wasn't brilliant at it. He wasn't a good administrator. Do we know, because uh, the, ter- the term clerk is used so often. Is it a catch-all term for lots of different jobs? And it basically means you could probably write, read and add up. And so you did anything that vaguely needed those things. Like, yeah. check through these documents, see if all these taxes have come in, or check through these documents and see what letters are coming in. Like, it's kind of anything it is, that's yeah. not manual labour, really. Absolutely. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, I don't know which order um, he, he worked. I'm pretty sure he started as the clerk, but then left. He left the service. Mm-hmm. But, of course, he knows, like, 
the schematics of the oh, building. He knows the insight. He knows who to talk to. Exactly. He knows where the weak points are. <laughs> yeah. So, but after that, he then goes on the road as a traveling salesman. Oh, <laughs> oh, it's so perfect. Or a traveling merchant. Oh, so he knows how to talk to people. He knows how to manipulate. I'm really, it's finding it hard to not to root for this guy. And he is committing a crime, but... Who's actually getting hurt? It's a cool crime, isn't it? <laughs> it's one of the cool ones. Yeah, it is. Um, well, he, as I say, so he went He went on the road, started off as a butter merchant, which seems like a really A odd... butter, so he'd go around selling, so butter. buy butter from a farm and then travel. I suppose so, but that's an odd thing. pre-refrigeration, that, that's a hard business. <laughs> yeah, maybe very salted, but that wouldn't stop it melting or... No. or I don't know. That is a that's that that's a weird one. Because also, you'd assume you'd get butter from a farm. You wouldn't buy it off someone who's travelled a few hundred miles to bring it to you. You get it from your local farm. Yeah, I don't know how that works. But anyway, what he then went into because he left the butter trade fairly quickly, he went into being a wool merchant. Now this makes much more sense because at the time, as history of England listeners will know, the main principal export that we had as a nation was wool. Absolutely. All the way over the channel, not that far, to Antwerp, which was the clo- the uh, wool market of the whole of Europe, and also the cloth trade. So you had a lot of business going on there. Mm-hmm. And quite intermittently, the Spanish, when they controlled the Spanish Netherlands, or Flanders as it was as well, um, they would close the ports to England, and then it would be like mutual destruction for their economies, because they needed each other right. to work. So then they'd open them again, and then it would all be fine again. It's a bit like Brexit. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> a, bit, a bit like other political events that are happening at the moment, but more around oil. But we won't dive into that. <laughs> no, we will not. Um, but yeah, so he then went into the wool trade, and it seemed to be going fairly well for him. And he was in Flanders quite a lot, which is where Antwerp is. Mm. And um, But this is where the motive might come in. Okay. Because uh, Edward's wars were costing so much money, he'd been raising a lot of taxes. And the taxation was so high that it might have run him out of business as a butter merchant. Ah, I see. So then when he goes into the wool trade, he's thinking, okay, well, this can't fail. It's too big to fail. But... Would you believe it? He's over in Antwerp, probably selling a few sheep or sheepskins, mm-hmm. and he gets arrested. Ooh, okay. So what's he done? Richard of Pudlicock, at the moment, stand up, stand up gent, literally, sure. gentry, and he hasn't got any, you know, he hasn't done anything wrong yet. Um, but it turns out that he has been arrested alongside some of his other fellow merchants as surety for King Edward's loans which he hasn't paid back to wow so he's not done anything he is paying the punishment for his king's poor money management and absolute massive spending in scotland absolutely wow god yeah that's you'd be pissed that's yeah that's really awful that's really kind of he's having his life ruined he's being through he's being smart he's being entrepreneurial he's being he's trying to survive in this high tax world yeah exactly (laughs) he's doing he's doing a great job that's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, I guess it makes sense. But then, is that is that going to do anything to Edward? Does he care? Or is he like gotten away with that? No, Edward does not give a shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's oh yeah, yeah, sure. I'm really sad oh, you arrested those random Richard of Pudlicott. Oh yeah. Oh no, oh, no. You hit me where I hurt. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. One of the clerks from Westminster. Oh yeah, yeah, that place. I remember work being there. Yeah, yeah like I have a thousand five hundred clerks with me. <laughs> I don't yeah, know yeah, why yeah. I didn't care about one. But whatever happened, Richard does get out. But okay. it's not quite sure how. I'm supposed he either bribed someone or they just let him go. Because figures, say, figures out a way out. Yeah. yeah. So he's then back in London. And he hasn't got that much on. Or, he's had his life ruined by the king. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, one day he was walking through Westminster, which is his old haunt. He has his mates down the road. And he is actually on the way to the pub Classic. to see some of his mates. Nice. Smart. And he notices a window with a ladder next to it. At the Palace of Westminster, right by the crypt, which we, where the main heist will happen later. Mm-hmm. And so, being the chancer entrepreneur that he is, and knowing that the king is all the way up in Scotland, this is about three months before the heist in April, he shimmies up, the, <laughs> up this ladder. Opportunistic. He really is. And he, he looks in the window, and he sees it's just held in by a string, just like a cord. Like what is the, the, the window? So he can get in really easily. The window is held in by a cord. Yeah, that's what it says in in the confession because this comes mean? up later. So there's like a, I'm guessing it's like a drawstring, which is just 
So like the window's on a hinge, like a normal window, but it's being held together with a tied oh, bit of knot. Oh, I see. It's, it's, it's closed shut by a piece of string. Yeah, basically. Smart. Smart. Yeah. I, I suppose, yeah, they're not, they're not great at windows at this time. You know, they don't have <laughs> double glaze, you know, click locking and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, and no burglar alarms either. No burglar alarms, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, so he then opens this, this window and climbs in and finds himself in the chapter house no guards around a mm-hmm. couple of monks around but they don't see him and why would they care he's a royal clerk he's known around the place anyway they're all they're all smashed as well so <laughs> yeah or they're you know praying or whatever mm. so he then sees he panics a little bit because he doesn't stay long he sees on like a side sideboard a nice silver platter so he goes i'm having that oh god just think it in that moment he's like he just looks at his life I, I imagine everything is flowing through his mind like he's tried to live on the straight and narrow he's gone through butter sales which that's got a lot that's <laughs> deep trauma probably from those days it's like telemarketing and then he had a he had a brief taste of the high life of being a wool merchant in in amsterdam and, and then in the netherlands and then that's all snatched away by this bastard of a king who just doesn't care about his people well maybe a bit mean but in the story you know he's a real villain um maybe i'm maybe he's also half scottish now it's probably a bit much but um (laughs) yeah but yeah in that moment he's like and he wouldn't he wouldn't notice well also he's hard up so he needs to make money like he really needs it so he takes this plate this platter and then goes out the same way he came in so you just imagine if you pass by you'd see him coming down this ladder holding a silver plate in his hand but it's that kind of thing where like if it's like the middle of the day or even like if it's if you just do it blatantly yeah and you do it with confidence you go oh he's just moving things yeah Exactly. So he does that, mm-hmm. leaves, and then sell, well, presumably sells this thing. Does he go to the pub first? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Can I order a meal? Can I have it on this plate? Please? Yes, on this silver platter, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which says quite clearly Edward Regnus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, so to he... Edward, happy birthday <laughs> from Louis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kisses from, Lu- from Louis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's, yeah. a, who's Edward? Ah, oh, he's a neighbour of mine. Uh, yeah, ignore that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, he then sells on this to a fence, presumably. He sells on this this piece of plate. and But he doesn't make loads of money from it because it is just a piece of silver. So it doesn't. it's not going to make him rich. It's a gateway theft. It's a gateway theft. And exactly, he now realises how unguarded this place <laughs> is. And of course, he knows that where the treasury of the wardrobe is located. Right. So it's just a clear, it's like a clear shot for him. Yeah. But he realises, I mean, I'm guessing he realises this is a little bit of poetic licence, that he can't get down to the crypt from that window. You know, he mm. couldn't, because why would, there's not always a ladder there. And there are guards outside. Yeah, it's not completely. It's not completely you know, left yeah, on its own. And so, also I assume, like, that route in is not necessarily his idea of this is the perfect heist. He's just, it's more about alerting to the fact of how unguarded this treasure is and he knows that and he knows it's so close and exactly. he can get it yeah exactly and it's just just within his grasp you know? yes so he also realized that if he's going to make real money he's gonna need a crew <laughs> of course he needs a crew <laughs> yeah 100 percent. and who where's he gonna find this crew at the pub because oh, he's obviously there we go he's been around he knows that he knows these pubs. i doubt this is true but i'm imagining it's also that night <laughs> so he's wandering back and people are checking out that plate going well all right let oh, me tell you something yeah let me try innkeep can i have a back room i need a i need a back room yeah just imagine him going into like a tavern like stinks of the thames because they haven't sort out the mm. sewage or whatever and they go into this smoky pub and it's yeah, in the back yeah. room and you've got the candle lights and then yeah and, you exactly. know this guy's like sharpening knives in one corner and like throwing darts oh 100 go with a go with a black eye there's someone playing i was gonna say piano they don't have them at that point but <laughs> yeah <laughs> the know. harpsichord <laughs> it's, it's, i imagine it's a real dive as well it's not like it's not like the nice pub it's not the nice tavern where no. honorable people go it's the kind of it's cd the spoons. Yeah, it's the spoons <laughs> yeah. exactly exactly now at this point in a heist film which i think is where i'm putting in my expertise into this the crew they need to gather, all their skills will be, it's almost like Chekhov's skills, where they happen to find the people who just happen to have the perfect skills that will weirdly line up to exactly what they want. Is that what he does? Oh my God, yes it is. Oh my God, no way. <laughs> so, here's the time to meet the crew nice. who are going to pull off this, no, let's call it, so not Ocean's Eleven, it will be Richard's... Ocean's 1311. <laughs> oh, yeah, Ocean's 1311, that's good. Yeah. I was trying to think, like, Richard of Pudlycott's... Four. <laughs> it's only four. Well, they, we only know about 
three, well, apart from Richard himself, we know about three accomplice names. Mm -hmm. But there was probably, historians estimate, and also if you just do it logically, more in the region of 15 to 20 of them. Right. Because for the amount they steal, they literally couldn't do it with four people. It would Mm -hmm. take too long. Mm -hmm. So the ones we know of, obviously, you know, Richard is the main man. He's the ideas guy. Oceans. He's the chancellor. Yeah, exactly. So they have to think this through very carefully. If they can't get in through a window, how do you get in? Do you build a tunnel? Probably not, because you're bright the Thames, and that would take a long time and people would notice. Mm-hmm. So, how about going through the outside wall? Going through the outside through wall? Through it, yes. Right. So, how are you going to get through a wall? It's well, 13 inches of stone. I would normally say explosives, but that doesn't exist yet. <laughs> well, it does, but just not in this part of the world. Right. Okay, yeah. I mean, you know, that that would be the, the, the anachronistic part of the, the film of this version. <laughs> dynamite. <laughs> yeah, dynamite. They get some sort of Chinese firework explosives. Yeah. Uh, a drill? Again, dude, way too early. No. Uh, but, I mean... Uh, okay, no, yeah. you need not, a... no, I don't mean an electric drill. <laughs> I meant like, you know, the kind yeah, of carpenter drill. <laughs> drill, you know, the ones where they just wind it around. Well, that's more likely. So, yes, they, he needed a mason, a master mason. Ah, which right. There are loads of those around. Yeah. So, John of St. Albans. Love it. Is his mason man. Right, okay. So, he, uh, he gets recruited because he knows he's got to get through this wall to get down into the crypt. Cool. You know, not on like, I don't imagine him on like on a court, you know, like a, a Mission Impossible. Oh, right. Like yeah, 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 yeah. Lowering yeah. him in. But obviously, you need to get through the wall. So, John of St. Albans is the first man who's recruited. Mm-hmm. And he, I don't know where they all met, but I'm guessing it's a pub. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. he is known to be, a, he was known around town as a bit of a drunk at this point. So, I guess you need to find people who also aren't on the straight and arrow. You know, they need to be likely to commit a crime with you. A very big crime. But the thing is, everyone who's anyone who's like in it to win it, is up in York. So the mm. people at the, who have been left behind are already disgruntled. They're already the outsiders. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they're, they're the, they're the grey men who mm. you wouldn't see. The meat in the room kind of thing. Yes. Right? So you got him. But where do you go if you get caught? If you get caught. You need, uh, you need a bolt hole, don't you? You need somewhere to run away to. Oh, I see. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. If it goes wrong, or even if it house. goes right, you need to have a safe house. Exactly. Yeah. So you need... This, this is amazing. William Palmer... Okay. William Palmer was the deputy keeper of the Fleet Prison. The River Fleet is a, a river which runs under London now, but it used to be open air. Right. And it was it was covered over because it stank so much of sewage, but it's still there. It's <laughs> underground. So it stunk so bad, so they made it, they gave it a roof, so the stink stayed inside until it got out to the Thames. Oh, yeah, gross. I know. But uh, anyway, so uh, the Fleet Prison was notoriously bad because it was obviously. If it's by the River Fleet, it stinks, and so the yeah. terrible century. But the deputy keeper of the fleet was a was a mate, William Palmer, mm. and he said he would shelter the burglars in the King's Palace because he had the keys, whilst they were go- either going in or going out. So William Palmer, deputy keeper keeper of the of prison, yeah, but he has the keys yes. to the King's Palace, yes, because and he's a man of standing. Oh, I see. So he's got well, he's got a last name. Yeah, exactly. It's a big deal. William Palmer. That's very interesting. But so why does he have keys? So he's just, so he is just some, is it like lots of people have keys to the... the I imagine, palace? yeah, I imagine... He's not like the keeper of the keys of the King's Palace. Yeah, it was a bit no. weird thing, but okay. Because also he would probably be up, up north. And that's where they want to hide. The yeah, King's perfect Palace. perfect place to hide. Last place they'd look. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they probably steal more stuff. Yeah. Probably some rugs they could take. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you've got William Palmer, keeper of the keys, if you like, uh, keeper of the jail, then you've got Jonathan Albans, who's your mason man. The mason. Yeah. And then you actually need someone who's good at breaking into places and actually is a criminal. Uh, you yeah, need yeah. some criminal enterprise. You can't just be a, a league of gentlemen. If no. you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, need, you need someone who knows his stuff. So you need a real villain, really. Okay. <laughs> you, need, you need the guy uh, from Jaws. You know, yes. the one who, who knows, how to, knows how to hunt shark. You know, you need that guy. You do. And that man's name was John Rippingdale. Oh, what a name, it. right? Also a last name. Yeah. So he would have been... Or he might have been John of Rippingdale, actually. Right, okay. Rippingdale might be a place. Rippingdale sounds like a place, doesn't it? It does, doesn't but it? But it does also sound like a criminal's name. A, d- a, d- a Rippingdale, a Rippingdale sounds like a place you'd go to find criminals. Yeah, it would. Maybe that's where he found him. Apologies if anyone listening is from Rippingdale. It's, <laughs> it's a place that exists. Yeah. Or not. Maybe it is where criminals go. Maybe, yeah. Right. So, so two Johns as well. That, yes, John's of uh, <laughs> English <laughs> history. John, John is fairly common. Yeah. So yeah, you got John of St. Albans, who's the Mason, and John Rippingdale, who was known, he has an alias, The Chaplain. Oh, love it. The Chaplain. Great. Yes. And the reason he's known as that 
is because he had a reputation of breaking into churches. Oh, he's perfect. I know. The man Brilliant. suits the job. So you've the got, job you've got the, the chaplain, you've got the mason, and you've got... I don't know, the jailer. The, key, the jailer. Oh, yeah. I love it. And then you got Mr. Pudlicott. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> he doesn't get a verb. The leader never gets their own nickname. They're always the person. Yeah, yeah that's so true. So yeah, he was known as a chaplain because I'm presuming he would dress up as a chaplain walk into mm. churches or steal into churches and just nick the chalices from the from the top. And this is also, this is still Catholic England. So it it's is. not, yeah, so, you know, gold crosses, a oh, lot yeah. of stuff. There's a lot of bloody stuff. Don't forget, it's the time of the Crusades. So, Ooh. you know, it's really chic at the moment. Would they have, no, they wouldn't have like Islamic stuff because anything they steal, they'd melt down and turn well, it into crosses. Well, they do have they? some things really? from over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Which might come out later. Or maybe not. So there you are. That's the crew. You got William Palmer, who's the jailer, Jonathan Albans, who's the Mason man, the Mason, and John, John Riffingdale, the chaplain. There you go. And then the, there were others. Um, people believe that there were definitely several goldsmiths okay. who were probably acting as fences, but also they could melt down stuff that so it's unrecognizable. So you had the crew, but then the wider operation. Yeah, you know, the outside help. Yeah, and also there might have been some corrupt guards too. Because oh, okay, it yeah. can't have just been those four. They're not part of the crew, though. They're just no. they're, they're just like outside interest. They would have probably, you know, they don't get a cut. They get paid. Yeah. You know. So, the plan. Okay. You obviously have a mason man. 13 inches of really good stone. Think about Westminster Abbey. 13 inches, that's fucking big. Yeah. That's intense. That is. That's that's like, that's half a metre, just over. Yeah. Like it's like, it's fairly thick. How tall as well are we thinking? Uh, what do you mean? In well, the wall. The... Um, it's funny. Oh, is, is this also in a building? Yes, it's in the. Oh, trap it's, house. it's not. So oh, it's not, oh the wall going... of a building. Sorry, I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. you got the you got the cemetery where the cloaked figures, William Palmer and everyone else, yeah. are in there, and then you've got this wall, and at the bottom of it, I'm presuming there was a hole, or they made a hole. Some sort. That's intense to get through. Yeah, I know. I know. So, great plan. Mm-hmm. You've got the mason. Check. You might have bribed a few guards. Check. You've got a bolt hole and like a headquarters in the j- in the jail if you need it. Mm-hmm. Check. And you have a expert criminal who's good at nicking stuff. Yeah. And he probably has contacts as well, as he in m- John Riffingdale. He might have helped pay off the guards. You know. Yeah. He, he know he knows. I imagine he, he's probably also a muscle man as well. Yeah. He's yeah. He's also the one you want to like come up with solutions on the fly because he's done this before everyone else is new to crime he's yeah the, he's the one who goes no no you need to do that. he's the expert exactly he's the, he's the, <laughs> i don't he's the consultant <laughs> i don't imagine william palmer being a deputy uh keeper of the prison to get on with the career criminal it's very interesting isn't it yeah yeah, yeah that's uh, but you know maybe he's maybe maybe he maybe does. they're all just a den of thieves they probably are but anyway so how do you get through that wall obviously it's quite noisy mm. to go through a wall of 13 inches of, of stone and the only access to it is through a graveyard. And graveyards are notoriously flat. And quiet. And quiet and open. And people will get annoyed if you start making a lot of noise in there. Yes, not including the people who are buried underneath you. Exactly. Yeah, and remember, superstition abound in this time. You have to be careful not uh, to yeah. anger the spirits. Anyway, so there is one secret ingredient to this plan that makes it amazing. And it's not explosive. <laughs> no, I can just imagine... I literally, so imagine you had the crew all set up, they're sitting around that table, and they go, yeah, but okay, uh, Richard of Pudlicott, how are we going to get to the wall without being seen? Mm. He, and then he just, he takes out of his bag, he's just been to Costco or something, and he goes, with these, and he brandishes loads and loads and loads of hemp seed. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and they must have all what? looked at him like, what the hell is he gone? Wow. So yeah, he, his whole plan rests on hemp seed. To grow hemp. Literally. To surround the area. Yeah. Oh, great. I love this plan. Yeah. It's nature. There's no one, there's no one around. Remember, everyone's The gardeners are gone. The gardener, Alf's up, up in Scotland tending to Edinburgh Castle. Oh. Probably not Edinburgh Castle, but anyway. So he's York up there Castle. in York. Yeah, York. Yeah. Yeah, Clifford's Tower. Um, so his plan is essentially to scatter loads and loads and loads of hemp seed all round the bit of the wall that they need mm. to be hidden so that they can work without being seen. Now this might sound ridiculous, but this is literally what they did. They gr- they let because there was no one looking, because no one goes into the monk cemetery often. Mm. They let this hemp seed. Apparently, it took about three months to grow. So yeah. you just imagine them sort of turning up and like Watching, peeping over. Yeah, yeah. Is it high enough? No, have to come back next week. 
Wow. Uh, so and just hoping no one cuts it down because yeah. then the plan's ruined. Exactly. But because they know people, they probably know that that doesn't get tended. This is the thing. They're insiders. They know the system. Also, I love the way that they, they're not taking plants from somewhere else and like burying them together because that would be too obvious. You'd notice a change. Yeah. But just slowly growing hemp, people are like, there's always been hemp there. As, long, I can, as far as I remember, there's been hemp there. It was definitely there yesterday. So what's the problem? Very, very true. So that's the plan, basically, is over three nights, they think it'll take them, they're going to go all the way into the cemetery. Presumably not all of them. I'm imagining everyone's on standby except for the mason mm-hmm. and Richard of Pudley Cop. Yes, possibly the chaplain as well, just as a as a lookout. Maybe, yeah, maybe as a lookout. Um, and what they did was they very, very quietly worked away, chipping away. Because that's the other thing. You have to use the hemp to hide the hole that you're building. Yeah. Because you can't just like, do it in one night, so they have to have Oh, they do delay. it slowly. They shawshank it. Yeah. Ah. But over three nights. And a shawshank, I think, took months. But like, Which, you know, it t- took, I think, like 12 years to do this. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is a bit quicker than the shawshank. Sure. But so there they are, like, tapping away at night. They only work at night. But then also... But then also, is there not a danger that people inside would hear them? Or well, who goes not... down there? Oh, I suppose it's only it's the, the royal crypt. treasury. Yeah, yeah. So like, no and one at night. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Wow, very so interesting. When the guards are probably at their most tired as well, because there mm-hmm. still would be guards out there, but they would have been asleep, and no one's guarding the monk cemetery. No. So that's the thing. So I'm going to leave that there before we go any further and tell you what's actually in the treasure. Oh, great. Because it's not just, you know, as I said, it's not just like gold bars. Mm. It's actually way more cool than that. So what's down there are all sorts of things. So most of the royal regalia of the crown of England, as well as the crown jewels, are stationed. The there. crown jewels are there. Well, yes, but he's obviously got some of it with him. He's so got his portable ones. Presumably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But So there were jewels down there, silver and gold coins, obviously, Goblets, jugs, nice. chalices, cups. Cool. So, so far, it's like Ikea. Goblets, <laughs> cups, and chalices. Sources. Basically the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Sauces, spoons, and vases. But then, so leave all that to one side for a minute. Basic the, stuff. The unique treasures. Oh, here we go. The stuff you can't just melt down. Yeah. The Cross of Neath, which is a, I think, a, I don't actually know what that is, but apparently it's, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. <laughs> it's a big uh, cross from Neath, yeah, yeah. Another one, the Holy Cross of Holyrood, which is the uh, Black Cross of St. Margaret from Scotland. So this is like something that's a war, oh, a war trophy man. that he's got. A war trophy, oh. Yeah. Spoils of war. I suppose a lot of this will be spoils of war, won't it? It will. Um, then there's the scepter or the rod of Moses, which is clearly a relic of some, some description. Right, but... Presumably, it will be made out of gold, and if Moses had a scepter, he wouldn't have a gold one because that's not how <laughs> yeah, but it's that what, story works. But yeah, 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 it's what you can sell it for. That's all that matters. Or maybe it has wood in it, and it's like they've embossed it. Maybe. Christ. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Um, and then also a couple of other really cool things. There's the sword of King Athelstan from the ninth century. So this is four hundred year, no, five hundred years. Since the ninth century, is Athelstan the first king of England? He absolutely is. That one, yeah, yeah no yeah. way. So, so there are magic sword. Well, not quite a magic sword, but exactly a, yeah. a big deal of a sword. And yeah. that sword reputedly cut through the Rock of Dunbar, uh, which is kind of cool. So it's like a, a, a sword of legend. It's the reverse Excalibur. It, it cut through a rock. Exactly, the rock yeah. didn't stop it. Then there was something called the sword of Wayland the Smith, which was last used to knight Henry the Second. Wow. So that's a really old sword as well. And the sword of the mythical prince Tristan, which had been presented to King John, so uh, the grandfather of Edward, um, by the Holy Roman Emperor. So some really... Wow. Uh, so there you are. There's your mythical sword. Genuinely, yeah. yeah. And also something else that I think is very good, and our Cloak and Dagger listeners will uh, will appreciate this, because also down there were personal possessions of Edward I. And one in particular... <gasps> No way. Well, you don't know what it is. Oh, okay. I was going to guess what it was, but yeah. Go on then, guess. Is it going to be something to do with the um, assassins? Yeah. No sort way. of. Oh, okay. Okay. So, in that crypt was also the dagger which was used in an attempt to assassinate Edward when he'd been resting in Acre. No way. Yeah. From our... For- Obviously, you are all uh, the History of England listeners, so you won't know this, but our first ever episode, we did it on the uh, assassins that existed in in Syria in the Middle East uh, during the Crusades. And, I mean, you told this story, but one of these assassins, who are from the Assassin's Creed game, if you played those, attacked 
uh, Edward. Yeah. And failed, and he fought them off, got out of bed in his just sleeping clothes, and stabbed a guy with a dagger. With the da- that dagger. And this is the dagger? Yes. No way. And then he kept it as a personal relic. Oh, my God. I know. Wow, he didn't take it with him. I would take that with you. Yeah. I'd have that on you at all times. I suppose so, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, so that dagger was also in there. Wow. Yeah. That's a good... I mean... I suppose the other swords are probably for us. That's a cooler. That's a cooler take. But those other swords are probably a bigger deal. Yeah, they probably are. Money. But still, like it, in terms of that, there's so much there mm. for him to use. And you've got to remember also that there is obviously an abundance of coin as well. It's not just that. Yeah, there's just a lot of yeah, cash. Yeah. So, the plan goes ahead. Do we? I mean, this is probably a lot. Do we have any idea in like today's money how much that would have been worth? Oh, oh yes, we do. Oh my god, how much? About a trillion pounds. No way. Yeah. Because that's the thing, because back then, treasure was worth so much money. Like, you could buy an entire country out of that. Yeah. A trillion pounds. Yes, what makes this such an incredible story. So this might be one of the biggest heists of all time. Yeah, that's what I said at the beginning. I wasn't just Not just English history, but of any history. Possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So this is the thing. That's what's down there. Now, obviously, he can't do it on his own, so he's got his crew. Mm -hmm. So, day, night three of the chipping away within the hemp mm-hmm. and they make a breakthrough. Literally, they get in. Now, as far as we can tell, and you've got to remember, we're just relying on Richard Pudlicott's own confession here. Right. So it's not like he's going to like give the praise to the other people. Yeah. But he got in there and on his own, or, you know, he went in, he was the only one who went into the crypt. Mm-hmm. And he spent the next two nights just in there with all the treasure. <laughs> <laughs> That's baller i love that he's like i'll just stay here for a bit what a what a time to be alive like you know that change of see you know from the world around him is this a very you know very natural but very impoverished world of you know feudal medieval world england yeah and then he just gets to hang out in basically heaven like this place that would feel so unreal it would be like i genuinely don't think us today could have that jump in experience there's nowhere on the planet like other than like even if we stayed a night in elon musk's house or (laughs) the richest people in the world's house i don't think it would be that amazing as what he went through yeah to stay in a place with more money than most countries have anywhere and you could it's not just because also most you know value nowadays is isn't tangible you can't see it no i guess it would be maybe just standing I don't know. You'd have to. I guess you'd have to go to like the the gold reserves and like gold, you know, and Goldfinger. The, yeah, something like that. Like... But even then, it's still like. And then, but also because there's these swords of legend. Yeah, like that's what would be amazing. You can imagine him like waving them around and like putting on the crown. So he went in there and just spent two days <laughs> doing <fun>. nothing. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. He was also taking things out. So he was using that human chain, as I said at the beginning, uh, of getting it out to barges. And you say, I mean, I understand it's his confession and there's a good chance that he was like bigging himself up. Or he wasn't ratting out his friends. Maybe there was bigger punishment. He's, he said, no, I was the only one who stepped inside. Like maybe there's more punishment. Possibly. I don't know if the law is quite as lenient as that. Like, you know, you get lesser punishments Not or they just then. go, you're all hung. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Um, hanged. But hanged or hung. I don't, never know which one it is. Hanged. Definitely yeah. hanged. Okay, definitely hanged. <laughs> well, so this happens. So they start taking all this stuff out of, uh, out of, out of the crypt and they take it to the house um, by the fleet which was the jailer's houses where they were keeping lots, right. of, lots of things. But there was so much of it. And because they were pub friends and they mm-hmm. were probably alcoholics, they were getting drunk and sp- splashing the cash very, really? very obviously. Oh, immediately started spending it. Oh, yeah. A oh, yeah, bunch yeah. of amateurs. Uh, genuinely, like London was suddenly filled with gold. It was really? just everywhere. It was washing up on the Thames, apparently. Re- oh, my like, God. Because they, they got drunk and they dropped it into the side. Maybe or... they're like, we're going to get caught. Like, why are we trying to be... Why are we pretending this is a, probably going to be the end of our lives? Let's just go home. Let's spend everything. Let's live our, live our lives to the fullest for the few months before old Longshanks come down and butchers us to pieces. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm not sure how... I hope they had a good time because actually, weirdly enough, as I said, it washed up on the Thames, but it was also found behind tombstones as well where they they surmise they got drunk and they just kind of was like they fell asleep in a graveyard and then left their booty there so it was just being so found just by random everywhere people. there was so much of it this is the thing was so I think much they money. would just be you know dumbstruck by the amount and yeah. have no idea how to deal with this no. like 
it's just it's just something unreal to them and they would just go a bit mad. Yeah. I love them also getting drunk still. But what's what's so interesting is that the, the news, the reports were going up to Scotland. Mm. So they got to the ears of Edward, who was hearing that his personal belongings were being f- like... Which is, know, yeah, thrown about. Thrown around. Yeah, yeah. So he was furious. Yeah. And he uh, he didn't come down straight away, but he his administrators down there, obviously their heads are on the line. Can you imagine if you're like... Under your watch. Yeah, the guard walks in and goes... I'm sure there was more in here last night. So yeah, so they're not, they're taking it bit by bit as well. So yeah. once they've made the hole, the hole is just there, is just their door. It's not like they went in and took everything. Yeah, exactly. I, suppose that, I suppose that makes sense actually, because someone probably isn't counting it every day. No, actually, what would have made more sense? I mean, they've done it wrong. That either they should have stolen everything and just tried to get away as quickly as possible. Which sail is like, that's to, what they should have done. Sail to Amsterdam or something. Yeah. Or they just slowly take money out. Use it to buy properties. Use it to buy stuff, you know, restart their lives like that. Don't take any of the stuff, the, big, the noticeable stuff. Yeah. Because also you can't sell that. Like, I'd like to buy this farm. What are you going to pay with? This sword was given to <laughs> King John by... And then you go, yeah, right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'll, t- I'll knock off some of those rubies off it, and buy it, but this is a bit weird. And you'd probably go, yeah, I might go tell someone about that because it's... A- yeah. Just take some of the gold and just go just go invest it. That you know? would have made so much more sense. But, but they didn't really boring that. and more exciting. And I think I probably would have done what they did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so Edward basically was furious and he was known for his temper. Mm. So he arrested, get this, originally he initially arrested all the monks of Westminster Abbey. Wow. Including the abbot. Cause, and there were like 48 of them. 48 monks and the abbot and palace officials were all arrested. Just for missing it? Like just for being complacent? Not because he thought it was them? No, he presumed it was them. Ah, oh, Because it was see. on their watch, you know. Right. And so he was he was pissed off. So he shoved them all in the Tower of I London. imagine he's kind of like, even if it wasn't them who did it, I'm still annoyed at them. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And eventually they did catch up with all of them because they were known. This is the thing. The networks of people. All you'd have to do is torture one monk and suddenly you had the entire lot. Yeah. You know. They and they were splashing the cash. I mean, if they got all the, you know, all the people from just the pub down the road, you know, you don't steal yeah. where you, where you live as well. You know, you go somewhere else. So yeah. not a well thought out plan. No, the, uh, one other person who was locked up was a man called John Sinch, who was the actual jailer of the fleet. So you remember the deputy keeper was uh, oh, William I see. Palmer. He was deputy, yeah. Sinch was also arrested. Mm. And so then what happens is uh, they languish in prison for quite a while. Uh, it was only in the spring of 1305 that the king then came south after finishing his Scottish campaign, and he actually let all of the uh, all the monks go because he kind of he'd calmed down by this point. Mm. But no such luck for our good friend Richard of Pudlycott, who mm. was hanged. Wow, as we thought he would just hanged. Several of them were hanged. Yeah. I suppose also tortured out to get a confession as well. Yes, which is why we know about. This. I reckon he wasn't tortured. I reckon he wanted to tell his tale. Pretty good story. It is, isn't it? So, uh, so, and also, he didn't want to. He wanted to avoid further scandal. If he'd hung all of those, hanged all of those uh, abbots and things, mm. then he would have issues. Yeah, that, that's that. That's a rough gig, and you know, you don't want to get too far into that. But interestingly, he did reappoint Sench as the as the warden of the of the the keeper of the keys. Really? So he realised it wasn't him. So there must have been some really good investigation going on. Mm. But there or w- just the confession. He yeah. Said, yeah. No, no. These are the guys that did it. So, yeah. the, the, so the other ones weren't. Hanged. They were four people were hanged. Oh, for those, several, so several the, of the, the ones we know about. The ones we know, plus maybe sure. some others. Yeah, 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 they were hanged. And there was a tale that went round that said that he'd stripped that Edward had flayed the skin of Richard Pudlycott off him and made it um, as a sort of uh, skin to put on a door in Westminster Abbey. Wow. And this door was the door. I'm not sure if you saw it uh, a while ago, but they said this is the oldest door in England, and it supposedly has the skin. Of Richard Pudlycott. Wow. They then, in 2005, did a study and they realised it was an animal skin. But this, uh, but the fact that that legend yeah. had been created, that rumour, you did not want to I mess with King I love that Edward. idea that at the time, like some of the monks are going, yeah, they've, they've, um, they were being really, apparently being tortured. Someone even said he was being skinned and someone went, you know that door that they just put that animal skin on? Yeah. You don't think... No, no. Mm, mm, <laughs> Edward, just, yeah, just, he could do it. Did you hear what he did to the Scottish? Yeah, exactly. I'm just imagining, like, what if Richard Puddicott had, like, a, an embarrassing tattoo on, like... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. my God, does that say, I love you, Mum? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's no animal. Puddlycock forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, that is our tale. 
Wow. Uh, he, uh, the, the tale of one of the greatest robberies in English history and one of the worst ways of, <laughs> like, the aftermath. The heist was fantastic. I think the planning was great. Uh, I loved the crew. I think they did a phenomenal job. They just didn't know how to spend it. Or maybe they did, and they just knew it's not worth... Because even if they'd taken all of it and flown... Flown. I suppose you can say because fl- he's fleeing. Flee, but yeah, yeah. Fools. He he flew across the across the channel, made it to France, made it to Amsterdam, made it. You know, managed to escape somehow. Yeah, I don't think he's going to get away forever. You know, like, no. other kings of Europe will also send their men to because they don't want this happening. Or they may laugh. Yeah, yeah. Or they want to go steal that money. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I like, imagine. That's... Yeah, if, if he if he'd taken all this like you know proper loot that was like like the, the all this all the stuff that the king of England had, I bet the the Dutch would have loved to have that or king of france yeah absolutely and i think that would have been a better plan but unfortunately that's not what happened and poor richard of pudlycott what a life he led uh might have wanted to stick to butter but hopefully had a good time in that crypt anyway that's all we have time for today um i would just like to say that i referenced um apart from jammy history podcast which was bloody brilliant um there was one article in particular that i used which was by marjorie bassett called The Fleet Prison in the Middle Ages, uh, University of Toronto Law Journal, 1944. And that's wow. the most recent academic journal that I could find who did a, a piece on this. So if you want to learn more, it's on JSTOR, as I'm sure many of you already have free accounts there. If you haven't, get on it. It's brilliant. It's where we do all our research. <laughs> yes. And if you did enjoy listening to that, you will find us on any of your, wherever you get your podcasts. We're, we're on the iTunes, we're on Uh, Spotify and Amazon Music as well. So yeah, all that's left to do is uh, thank you for listening and Patrick, thank you for being there too. Thank you very much. This was an amazing story. We always love a good heist. We do. And thank you, David. And we are looking forward to what's happening in your podcast too. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.